One of the biggest supporters of the social network is Michelle Zellner. Michelle is an avid fan of the show, listens to so many of the episodes, and I love when she provides me with some feedback about what she finds funny and interesting in various episodes. I had to have her back on to chat with her and just to enjoy a conversation. I urge you during this time to enjoy more time with other people, people that you love having good conversations with that you can laugh, cry, do everything in between with. I hope you enjoy the conversation I had with Michelle Zellner. Okay, well, we have back Miss Michelle Zellner, a huge favorite person of mine in my life. I'm I'm so thankful to be talking to you again, Michelle. Well, it's really nice to get to be back on with you and um I'm, you know, I'm very sad that I'm not seeing you in person in just a couple of weeks, but yeah. You know, we do what we can do, right? Do what we can do. It's going to happen at some point, I would For think. Sure. And um you know, things have a weird way of turning into other things, I feel like. So I wanted to just start off by just understanding a little bit how you're how you're doing during this time, you know. I am uh I'm actually doing just fine for myself personally. Um super grateful, still been uh able to work and live in a really nice high rise community with uh, other humans that I still get to see and a lovely park right across the street that we are still allowed to go outside in. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, other than being inconvenienced and certainly having some of my joys taken away from me, um, not terribly affected, but I guess where I'm affected is just, you know, seeing the devastation go on around, um, obviously the health issue, but the financial devastation as well. And I'm a little bit personally affected because my very best friend, um, is, is definitely in that boat and it's, Mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking, honestly. Yeah, it is. I think all different parts of the country are going through very similar things and and people know of other people or maybe themselves they've been impacted and it's difficult to see other humans struggling at least for me it is you know just the sense of that what's going to happen the uncertainty you know yeah for me too and you know for some of it the frustration uh, regarding what seem to be somewhat arbitrary decisions of who is allowed to work and who is not allowed to work and what is essential and what is not, um, you know, just when the liquor stores are essential, but somebody who provides uh, alternative medicine is not essential. That, that bothers me a lot. <laughs> it really bothers me. Yeah. I think there's a lot of feelings going on out there of a lot of things. It's hard to know what's the right thing and what isn't yeah. uh, for that. And I think that's some of the frustration is, you know, it kind of magnifies the type of world we live in. There's inequities all over the place and curious, head-scratching decisions, you know, and it's sometimes hard to handle that as, you know, as a person, you know? Yeah. And I think, uh, 
at least in my circle, and I have a very diverse circle, um, you know, we feel like the goalpost has been moved. We were told the job is to flatten the curve. So we all made these dramatic sacrifices to do that. And we accomplished that, right? So it was all to not overwhelm the healthcare system. And we succeeded. That did not happen in Denver, in Colorado in general. We did not overwhelm our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And yet now the goalpost is moved. And it seems like it's, well, we can't allow anybody to get sick. Or we have to try to avoid or minimize people from getting sick. I'm like, well, that's, but that's not possible. Like, (laughs) so I don't know. It's that I think is also really starting to make people weary. You know, you push it out. We did our job. We did it. Good job us. And so, oh, now you get to keep on doing it. So it's just, it's interesting. I mean, our governor here has opened up the state slowly, but then many of the local municipalities around have decided, no, you can't open. So the the governor has allowed and understands that every day that we continue this shutdown, the cost benefit is not working out in our favor, right? And yet a whole bunch of uh, mayors and county commissioners around are like, nope, we're, you, you, if you're in this county, you're not allowed to open. So that also is, you know, again, it's really frustrating because you live, you know, two miles away and you can open your doors, but you're in this jurisdiction, you're not allowed to. But this particular business can, but this one can't. And yeah, I don't know. It's, and I mean, probably the answer is there's no good answer, but it still doesn't, you know, it's not sitting well with a lot of people. And what I'm seeing is people are becoming apathetic, and in some cases, apoplectic. (laughs) And I think if this goes on much longer, it's going to be big and bad in in other ways. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a very heavy toll, I think, for a lot of, for for, uh, for humans, you know, and it's very difficult to know, like you said, what's the answer? It's, I know for me, it's very difficult. Like I see certain things, I'm like, oh, I don't like that. And certain things I'm like, oh, I think that's good. And I think as I explained to um, my wife, Michelle, that there's certainly a point where we're just going to have to live with it and go around and we're going to have to just see how things go. You know, it's uh, it's a different landscape. And, uh, I mean, it's interesting talking to different people and their viewpoints about it, you know? Yeah, it's definitely a different landscape. And, um, I I don't know, I think from the health and wellness perspective, which of course is a huge piece of my perspective, Mm -hmm. it, it feels to me like a, an impression that a lot of people have is if you go out and get exposed, you're going to die. That seems to be what what a lot of people actually believe. And that is so not the truth, right? Like there's very clear vulnerable populations. Absolutely. It's very clear that people with underlying health conditions and comorbidities, if you are exposed, you're going to have a trouble for sure. But the majority of people are not. You're going to get sick and getting sick sucks. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I've been sick for sure. And it's not fun. And I would love to avoid that if possible. 
but to think that you're going to go through life and never get sick, I don't know. That's, that's odd to me. Yeah. I think, um, it just, uh, I don't want to say this in a way. I'm not trying to make it politically correct. I'm just like how to gather my thoughts the right way, you know, to say it sounds intelligent. Um, I think anything that's new is always very scary to people. And, you know, if anything, we ha- when you have experience with something, you're more likely to be like, well, I've done this before, so I kind of know what to expect about it. And with something that is a novel virus, I just I think a lot of people just didn't know what to do. And so a lot of times there's a lot of extreme behaviors and decisions based off of not knowing things. And so I think there's a lot of learning through it and a lot of mistakes and a lot of good things at the same time, good decisions. It's all, it's just messy. You know, a lot of new things are messy. New relationships are great one moment, can be messy the next, you know, it's, it's kind of a microcosm for a lot of things in life, you know. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. It's messy. And that is the truth. I guess for what I hope that com- what does come out of this something good is that people actually do start to appreciate the value of a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think as a society, very clearly, we don't appreciate that, which is why we have some of the chronic health conditions uh, and the rates of it that we have. And um, I was actually surprised. I've had some friends and family members and a couple of um, clients, both present and former, who came to that conclusion on them on their own without me having to point it out that, mm-hmm. wow, this is me. Like I have high blood pressure and I, I am in the obesity category and holy crap, I need to get my, my shit together because yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. in that population. And I'm like, yeah. Yes. Yes, please. Let's do that. <laughs> you tell a you tell a health and wellness person they're like, "Yes, thank you." Right. Uh, you know. Yeah, I I do think, you know, healthy lifestyle choices go very underappreciated. Um and yeah. you know, I, I I've been teaching a lot of classes on resilience and avoiding burnout and how you do that and it all comes back to, well, you nourish this thing, this human machine with what it needs, which is mm-hmm healthy food, movement, you know, social connections, um, positive outlook, attitude, whatever, um, you know, sleep and a uh, minimal exposure to fight or flight. Like that's how you build resilience. So it's not that, oh, I'm healthy, so I will never get sick. No, it's when you get sick, you'll actually be okay afterwards. That's the whole point of it. It's a buffering mechanism. I know that um, one of my clients is a heart interventionist, and he always says that, you know, clients that are patients that come in that end up having, you know, heart issues or surgery, the ones that are um, much better conditioned and have a better fit overall fitness level have much higher survival rates. And it's very clear. So the research is incredibly clear about this. But I think that we know a lot of this stuff, but yet we continue to not do these things. See, I was just, you know, we continue to not do it. I think a lot of people don't really, they might know it, but they don't, they really don't believe it or believe it'll happen to them. And I mean, not that I am the epitome of the healthy lifestyle, but I have two huge examples of my own um, situations where 
a couple years ago, I was hosting a wellness retreat in Kauai. Mm -hmm. And I got there a day or two early before my guests did and had just nonstop vomiting, incredible pain. Couldn't mm. figure out what it was. Well, an appendectomy later, um, right. <laughs> I was released and I went and hosted my retreat. And I was, I mean, I was fine. And when I told my guests that, okay, so I can't lift anything or go in the water because of this, they're like, what? You just, you did what? You just had a what? I was like, it, yeah. And, you know, again, I think I bounced back very easily because I was super strong and healthy going into it. Um, yeah. And last year I got knocked down by some crazy strain of the flu and ended up in the critical care unit for four days. And that was horrible, probably the worst four days of my life. But once I was released, like two days after I was released from the hospital, I was literally 100%. I was fine. I had energy. I was totally bounced back to my normal life. And I can't, I can't attribute it to anything other than I'm pretty strong and healthy going into something. Why do you think that other that many people don't make the changes, even though they may have some information, um, they may see other people performing at a high level? What's your thoughts on that? Because it's hard. It's hard, you know, and we're we're so in the moment and so stressed and haven't learned healthy coping skills. Um, you know, I mean. <laughs> Again, going back to, oh, liquor stores must remain open because people are going to have to cope with this. I'm like, really? <laughs> because we can't think of other ways to cope. We don't know other ways to cope. I don't know. We've never been taught them or, you know, just have gone through life not not having to cope. And then when you have to, you don't know what to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, healthy choices are hard choices. It's a lot... But, Trust me, when all this went down, it occurred to me, oh, well, let me just go get a bunch of comfort food and I'm going to just wallow in this time because this sucks and I'm not happy. I mean, that that crossed my mind, but eh, I know that's not going to lead to a good outcome. So I was like, no, let's just not even start down that road because it will be a very quick spiral if I even start. And you know, I don't know. I think when we're young, we can get away with a lot of unhealthy choices and it doesn't appear to be affecting us. And then at some point in our lives, when it's starting to affect us, now we are maybe so uh, overwhelmed with all the things that we have to change or now life is so busy and I have these 19 other you know reasons or excuses why I can't eat healthy and I can't exercise. And oh my gosh, I can't control my anxiety. We just decide that, well, it's too hard. And and I think that almost always it comes back to that. Like it's hard work and it's just a lot easier to not do it. It's certainly easier to do other more enjoyable things on people's minds, you know. And um, I think the hard part, that's a very true statement. I think it, I think sometimes we complicate it, you know, the reasons why we don't do things. But sometimes it comes down to very simple things like, it's just hard. I mean, I think about anything I've done in my life that's been really good for me, been really worthwhile. This this isn't an exercise talk generally. This is just life in general. 
all the things that have been good in my life and my, my daughter, my wife, and, you know, uh, my wonderful family, my education, whatever it is, I've had to work pretty hard to make those to be successful things in my life. They haven't come easy to me. And I think sometimes we want exercise and wellness and stuff to just be easy for us when then it's not like that in most of other things that are good in life. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an interesting look at it. Yeah, it, that's I often use that similar analogy when I'm coaching people or teaching in my in my classes, you know, I ask people like tell me something that you've achieved and they tell me, "Oh, I got my master's degree." Okay, was that easy? No. I I saved money for a house. Was that easy? No. <laughs> Okay, so why don't we invest as much time and energy into our own well-being? I think part of it is we were really never taught that this does require work, like being a healthy human actually does require work, because back in the day, it didn't require work. It was just that's all we had. Right. And so I, and because we can get away with a lot when we're younger, right. We're way more resilient. And so, so those unhealthy food choices don't affect us as much, or, you know, maybe not exercising doesn't appear to be harming you in any way. Um, But I think it starts from like the, the basics where we're just not taught all the things that are necessary for a human being to function well. And that some people are going to be better at some of them than others, but whatever is difficult for you, you just, you're going to have to work harder at it. That's kind of the way it goes. I mean, I had to work really, really hard to change my eating habits. My sister, not so much because she didn't have the challenges with food that I did. My sister has had to work pretty hard on, you know, some of the uh, internal dialogue, the perfectionist um, tendencies, the, the worry, worry, worry that... I don't have to work very hard on because that's just not part of my, my innate characteristic. And so, you know, I think that's, that's another thing too, is we often just compare what someone else is doing or not doing or has, or doesn't have. And then, well, they don't have to do that. So why do I have to do that? It's not fair. Or, you know, um, or, oh, wow, that person did that. So if I do that, I'll get that same result, which may or may not be the case. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it is. It's probably because I know I was never taught that it takes a lot of hard work to maintain this thing called the human being. You just go about life and do life. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, wait, I don't like what I'm seeing or feeling. And and now I don't know what to do or I do know what to do. But ugh, I want I want <laughs> this like immediate result. Like I shouldn't have to work for it. It shouldn't be this hard. Right. <laughs> and like, well, why shouldn't yeah. Yeah. I have found in my, this is just my personal experience. I don't know that this is right or wrong in any sense. I just, I can just go from what I've seen is that the majority of people that uh, I have worked with throughout the years and, you know, what I mean is like clients I'm working with, they're wonderful people, but generally I would think the general public, in my opinion, doesn't really know what to do. I think they have a th- they have a thought process that they know what to do, but once you actually work with the person, it becomes very clear that you're inhabiting a space that you're not you don't really know what to do with. Which is interesting that you mentioned that this machine, it's like you've been given this this vessel, this ship. You're you're given a ship and you're not given any instructions on how to use it properly. 
so you just make all these mistakes and you just do all these things and you whatever you just don't know it's kind of like the internet in many ways we we were given the internet and like nobody knew how to use it really and then you get social media nobody knows what they're doing they just throw stuff together say weird things <laughs> you know it's like it's a fantastically strange voyage. You know? It is. And everybody's vessel is different. And I think that is also yes. very challenging, right? Because everybody's looking for like the one size fits all here, just do this. And when I think about like, you know, different types of vehicles, I mean, somebody might know how to work on a, a particular kind of vehicle, but you throw a different one in there. And <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know how to do that. And yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think people really understand the complexities of how yeah. this human machine works because you might think you're doing the right things, and that was certainly my own wellness journey. I did a whole bunch of things that I thought were right because that's what I was taught, and it turns out they were totally wrong. <laughs> so yeah. I had to relearn. I had to experiment. I had to figure it out in a lot of different ways, and. I think, you know, most people don't have the patience or the dedication to do that. So they say they want a certain result, but do you really want to invest the time and energy it's going to require to get that result? Maybe, maybe not. I think, you know, typically when I start working with somebody, that is a very long conversation that we have because I want them to be very clear about my approach and my expectation you know, for myself as a coach, but, but more so my expectation of them as a client. And I tell them, you know, if you just want to lose 20 pounds for your reunion, I'm probably not your gal. I mean, yeah, me neither. (laughs) And, and I, I make them say it out loud several times that this is going to be hard. It's going to take time. I'm not going to get, you know, tied to expecting a certain outcome by a certain amount of time, but also understand that, it's okay to get frustrated with the process. You're going to get frustrated and that's totally part of it. But I'm going to ask you to just take some deep breaths and let's embrace the process and we're going to move through it. And I promise if you keep on doing it, you are going to benefit. We are kindred spirits like that. I, I feel like what you just said was like word for word, the exact thing I told this new client that I was onboarding yesterday like literally the same thing. And, you know, we were talking about, it's a very avid exerciser and uh, gym is closed during the pandemic and, you know, struggling with being motivated and stuff, whole deal. And was wanting to know my approach and, you know, are we going to do these types of things or what exercises? I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know you. I, I don't know what your response is going to be to what we're going to do. Um, but I do know that I know good basic principles of biomechanics and motor learning and chronic adaptation, and I will apply those things, but um, I can't promise you what's going to happen. <laughs> I said the same thing. I have no clue where this is going to go and how you respond, but you have to trust the, you know, my education, my background, the science, the psychology of what I know and all those things. And I think that is hard to hear sometimes. Because we want answers. I need answers. Yes. <laughs> tell me I'm going to look like this. And we're like, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> no. Yeah, typically, um, <laughs> it's it, same. I actually just did a very similar conversation with somebody yesterday. And mm-hmm. typically, 
they resonate with me or I resonate with them because they have tried it 19 other ways and it hasn't worked. And then they're like, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> right. I guess I'll give it this approach. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's like the last resort. They're like, okay, clearly these other ways haven't worked. So if I must go on this long, painful journey, I guess mm-hmm. I'll do it. <laughs> um, have you developed a kind of, a, um, I'm curious, you know, as obviously you listen to my podcast and you see, I'm increasingly have more different and different type of people on <laughs> I have and areas I have no clue in. Uh, but it's interesting when I talk to other people in my profession, have you developed on some sense, maybe just observationally, the uh, maybe psych profile of somebody who's very successful in working with you or, you know, your approach? Most of us will reach a point in our lives where we look back and wish we had done a few things differently. I personally wish I would have taken better care of myself in my late teens and early 20s. But at the time, the idea that the choices I was making were actually going to matter at a time other than the immediate future did not even cross my mind. You do what you know, and often you make choices knowing full well they are not good. I can't help it. This one thing isn't going to matter. I'll worry about it later. These thoughts were typical and frequent for me. The reality is, I can help it. It is going to matter, and later comes sooner than you think. Human beings are resilient creatures. We must first have awareness that we are causing harm, then the desire to stop causing the harm. Each chapter thus far has honed in on behaviors that directly or indirectly impact many facets of our well-being. Once we stop causing harm, we need to provide the body and brain resources to heal, then continue providing them so we can thrive. This, my friends, is called the healthy lifestyle. If you have not yet come to that point in life where you wish you could have a do-over, you are probably part of that amazing group, the YBI, young, beautiful, and invincible. Since nothing is wrong, why change behaviors? The truth is, there may be plenty going wrong. It just hasn't presented itself yet. It's happening, but you just don't know it because you can't see or feel it yet. Yet. If you ask people in their 40s, 50s, or 60s if they ever thought this would be the outcome, I'm willing to bet most would say no. That won't happen to me. I will not end up like my mom, my dad, my aunt, my sister. However, if your habits are similar to what theirs were, the likelihood that you will end up in a similar place is very strong. The sooner we embrace the idea that how we live our daily lives determines how we live our future lives, the better our future lives will be. The good news is it's never too early or too late to make changes in habits and reap the benefits. Really, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about like the ones that I've worked with consistently. Um, they kind of are all over the place. I definitely have some high strung type A. We're really working on moving away from like, oh my gosh, it didn't work, all or nothing mindset. And then I have others who are very methodical, slow and steady, and that's their nature. 
Um, I think it's not necessarily a profile. It's um, what do we tackle first? And for sure, when I have somebody and I am working currently with somebody just like this, who she's been down every road and all or nothing in everything she does. And Mm -hmm. I, I told her right off the bat, that is what we are going to work the hardest on because I guarantee you all or nothing is not going to work long-term. And she knows that because she's been doing it right. Um, I think, I mean, if I had to summarize a profile, it would be literally people that have tried every other way and it hasn't worked. Interesting. That's very interesting. I, uh, I've had a different experience. Um, I think both ways are very valid or many ways. I'm sure you can talk to a bunch of different people. I've definitely had a very common thread between all of my extreme high performers because I've been documenting it for years and I'm just, I never asked anybody that. So you're the first person I asked uh, that's a other professional about it. Cause it's really come to the forefront front for some reason. It just came to me, you know, not long ago, like hey, I'm going to really like study this in a sense. And I kind of combined it with a lot of the new research and psychology related to different traits, like agreeableness, extroversion, conscientiousness, and, I've noticed that most of my really high-performing people, they're extremely conscientious people on the scale. They care deeply about having their session. Like it's, they will not, they will not cancel. It's, it's for forefront of their mind that this is maybe one of the most important things in their life. They're all like very deeply into it. Um, the other thing is they say a language that I don't hear from some other people, the language of, this is my long-term thing. Like, are you going to do this with me as long as we're both walking around on this earth? I'm like, okay, that's not common to talk to somebody about that. Like performing a service forever. I've probably heard that from every one of my high performers at some point in the journey. I mean, I don't know that this is not scientific. It's just what I've like heard these things, you know, with that, you know, they will do everything to move their schedule around to have that mm-hmm. session. They won't just cancel and go, well, see you next week type of thing. You know, it's, there's so, I mean, there's more than that. They're very agreeable to listening. They take instruction well. They may complain, like a lot of clients complain and stuff, but they're agreeable to it. The extreme level of agreeableness of, of doing things um, that are maybe seem silly to them, <laughs> maybe, you know, so um, it's very interesting. I haven't had the 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 people who have like, on their last resort or whatever. This is their last resort type of thing. So I'm just very curious. That's interesting to me that you've had that. Well, and I would say too, you and I do very different types of training. I don't, I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. do really any personal training anymore. Mine is really coaching through lifestyle, behavior modification all over the board from, you know, everything, nutrition, fitting and exercise, stress management, Um, you know, and then helping people understand how the human body works. So talking about, you know, challenges they might be having with hormone imbalances and thyroid issues and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, you know, I see people often in more of a group setting when I'm doing my corporate wellness stuff. Um, but I would say it's a good delineation. Yeah. I would say as, as far as like my individual coaching clients, um, they are really ready to like, it is like, okay, I've tried everything else. (laughs) Right. 
And and now I'm ready to embrace this idea, even though I don't like it, that it's going to require some serious <laughs> lifestyle changes. <laughs> it's always the case. I don't like this, but yeah. I'm ready to do it. Almost a strange resignation. You know, it's what else does that readiness look like to you and, and what you're doing? Are there other components to it that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, they have to definitely be committed. Like I, I talk about that too. Like you, ha- you have to know that this isn't going to be done in 10 weeks or maybe even a year. Not that I'm not going to work with you if you won't commit. I don't require like people to commit for a year at a time in any way, but I want them to understand like, like they need to really, really like say it out loud to me, you know, not just nod, but no, I want you to fully understand this. And I tell them about my own journey that it took me years and years and years and, you know, still figuring some stuff out and improving in some ways. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's when they've come to that conclusion. And generally I would say it is people, you know, who are going to be in their forties and up, because I think prior to that age demographic, they still think that they can work it out themselves and figure it out themselves. And maybe they can. Um, but by the time they've reached that age or maybe, you know, late forties, early fifties, they've, they've gone up and down in lots of different ways. So, um, a lot of them are, are sort of, they're hopeful, but they're, they're still a little skeptical. <laughs> um, so I definitely do manage that expectation and let them know that, yeah, you might not really see or feel anything for weeks, months, but I promise you, there's no doubt in my mind that every healthy choice you make is helping you on some level. You, you just have to, like you said, you just have to trust me. You just have to trust. And I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, that I've done this not only with many, many people, but with myself. And I would never, I would never encourage someone to, you know, make a lifestyle habit change that I didn't fully believe in. And that's why when people ask me about, well, what do you think about this diet or this workout? Or my first question is always, well, why, why do you want to do that? What are you, what are you hoping to achieve by doing that? And then we'll, then we'll peel it back and maybe it is a good choice for them. And then I'll help them guide through them to do it the right way. Cause that's, you know, that's always part of my answer. Well, if you do it right, I think it could be great, but most people don't do it right. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. I had, again, this is strange, by the way, this is a very, like we were having the same conversation at the same time with somebody, um, which is, um, always a very wonderful thing about you, Michelle. I always enjoy speaking to you, by the way, just, just so you know. Um, but we were having this conversation about like, you know, high intensity exercise classes. Like, you know, really kind of your get in there, you hit class. And so this person was asking me like, is this a good exercise program? And I'm dropping in these classes. I said, well, and my first thought was probably like yourself, like, let me ask a question with a question, you know, kind of thing. Like, well, why do you think it's good? Like, or what do you feel when you do it type of thing? They were like, well, you know, I just, I got into, it was really hard. And like, I felt a lot of pain and then I kept going back, it was painful. I said, well, I think these things can be good, but generally you're not prepared to do it when you first step into it. And so you're just taking like, you're going to the moon the first day versus building a base, a good base 
from a simple organism into a more complex organism. You try to become a complex organism on day one. Life generally doesn't work like that. And, and how you reproduce doesn't work like that, in a sense. You're not an adult when you're born, you know. And I think it was very interesting to them. They kind of looked at it and was like, huh, I'm like, why do you want to get to the end so fast? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. well, like, why don't we just build you a better you and then we can start doing more complex things? You know? I think it's interesting what you said too about. Well, it was, it, there was pain. It was painful. It hurt. I feel like yeah. people believe that you have to suffer in or, or you won't make progress, right? <laughs> like this diet, well, it's so restrictive and I'm suffering and I'm doing it. So I know it's got to mm. work, right? Or like, yeah, the, the high intensity, really kill yourself kind of workouts. And if I don't, if I'm not in pain, then it's not doing anything. Or because I'm in pain, it must be good, right? right. There is, I think, maybe that common idea. Uh, and it's a different kind of pain, right? I tell people, well, why go on this extreme crazy diet? Why not just eat real food? And, you know, every now and then enjoy some pleasure food, but mostly eat like really good stuff. That doesn't seem very painful to me, but you'd rather just, I'm never going to eat sugar again. Really? Is that the <laughs> truth? Because I bet that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What, what's the extreme nature in us? What is that? You know? I don't know, it, but it's everywhere. It's definitely, I mean, the all or nothing mindset, I can't tell you how many times I come across people with that. And, you know, even sometimes they don't recognize that they have it until we start talking and they start telling me, you know, I've done this and well, why did you stop? Well, because, oh, you know, this one thing happened and then I couldn't do anything. I'm like, huh, okay. So you stop doing everything because one thing wasn't working. Like that's all or nothing, right? Um, it's very prevalent and I'm not really sure when, I mean, I, I was definitely there as well at some point in my life, right? Um, if I was going to be good and not eat sweets and then I had a cookie, well, then I might as well have 20 of them because why wouldn't I, right? Um, right. And so it is a big, big mindset shift to make. And, and I think for me, probably working with people and teaching my classes, you know, I, I, I often will say it's, it's the hardest thing to change, but until it changes, very little else is actually going to change. And yeah, yeah. again, it's, it's hard. Changing mindset is really hard work. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. Just you're kind of wading through a water that is you know, very murky. It kind of goes back to that messy thing I was saying before. Like, it's just really messy, you know? But I always find a lot of honor in helping somebody, especially that first time I perform a session with somebody and I'm working with them. It's just this, this maiden voyage, this odyssey that we're taking on. And the words that I say and the connection that we have and saying, yeah, this is day one. You know, and we will not be at the end mm -hmm. in day one. Mm -hmm. And this may not be what you think it was supposed to be, but I know what it's supposed to be. I know that this is what we're basing on where you're currently at. And we're building. We're building this great arc. And you got to be willing to take the time to put every piece of wood together on that, every nail, you know, every level of it. That's hard for people. That's, I mean... I'm not exempt from that either. There are certain things in my life I want to go <laughs> faster. I want things to come quicker. 
I'm not saying this is somebody who's like just amazing and all these things. It's not that. I'm a very flawed person. I always have been. I just try to do my best to minimize bad decision making, you know, be good to other people, but, you know, believe in the process of things that there's, there's value. Yes. I think that's the key word. I mean, it's the process. And I tell people all the time, embrace the process. Everybody just wants the outcome. And yet so much is about the process and, uh, you know, you learn so much through the process, but a lot of times I think too, and experiences with my clients is they will have like major victories, in my opinion, a major victory, and they will completely dismiss it as no big deal. Um, a lot of times a, a coaching call will start out by saying, oh my gosh, it was a terrible week. I'm like, why? What? What happened? And then they'll tell me, you know, some things that happened and I'm like, and then they'll, they'll shift and say, but I did do blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay. so. Actually, what I just heard was it was an an epic week with a little bit of shit thrown in it. That's actually what that was. But in your mind, it was terrible because it wasn't perfect. <laughs> so I I always try to get people to really acknowledge the breakthroughs, and I I want them to say them out loud um, because I think we tend to gloss them over and overlook them, dismiss it as no big deal. Um, and yet, if you don't acknowledge those breakthroughs, it it doesn't it doesn't strengthen you to do it again, right? So, this one gal, um, I mean, really, he and I know this is a big deal because I was her years ago, and it sounds silly to a lot of people, but she said I went to Costco and I didn't have any samples. Now, this is obviously pre CV, right? Um, but yeah. Yeah. She's like I didn't have and I didn't have any samples. And I know a lot of people are thinking, well that's ridiculous. How stupid. How is that a victory? Well, it's a huge victory for somebody who that is their habit. We go to Costco and we stand in line and we get every single sample that's there because we can, because it's free, because I'm hungry, because it tastes good, 19 reasons. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge victory to go and not have a single one and to walk out of there feeling really good about doing that. Not feeling like, oh, I didn't get to have any, but rather feeling I'm really proud of that choice I made. And that's a huge victory. And I think you know, when she had to say it out loud to me, I could hear the smile in her voice, you know? So, um, I think it is too often we, we do only focus on the finish line and, and if we're not there, then, then we're failing. And I don't know, that's like you said, I don't know anywhere else in life where that's the case. (laughs) It's, it's, it's true. I mean, we often like to think about our health and wellness as this Endpoint, yeah. and that we want to be at that endpoint as quickly as possible. I mean, like as fast as you can go on a starship to that point. But we're willing to wait for the other things. We're willing to move up the ladder in our jobs. We're willing to, you know, see our children are going to grow up, you know, and different things of that nature. Develop maybe a better relationship in other sense. But we cannot stand not being there to being fit or better, or whatever goal we have, we can't stand it. We just want to be there. Yeah. Know? And when I, when I work with somebody like that, I just think about, well, what, think about this. If like three years ago, you had adopted a different approach, the slow and steady, where do you think you would be today? Instead of this on again, off again, diet, 
go off the diet, do this crazy workout, stop doing this crazy workout. Right. And, and so then I try to ask them, okay, like three years from now, where would you like to be? Would you like to be going through this same cycle over and again, or would you actually like to maybe be a lot closer to your finish line than you are today? And yeah, you know, they get it when it's framed in that way. And maybe it's not even three years, maybe it's a year or whatever, but it's probably not going to be a week or a month or six months, you know, depending on how far we got to go. Um, and and yeah. like, you know, I think to your point, it, there really is no finish line because once you get where you think you want to be, it's changed <laughs> because your yeah. body has changed. Your circumstances have changed. You know, lots has changed, have cha- has changed in the meantime. So, um, you know, that's, that's really why I, in my, for my own approach, I always just look at, it's just an endless journey. There is no finish line until I'm literally done, done, done. Like, and then I'm done. Yeah. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, there's no end. You need to just look at it as there's, you're looking at it in an ocean that never ends and you can never see the edge of that ocean. Like you just have to accept it. And I said, aren't, aren't there things in your life you've just come to accept? As this is, is what I said, this is one thing you have to come to accept. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah because you get to that finish line and at the very least, you have to keep working to maintain it. Right. That's at the very least. Yes. And I think maybe that is what's so daunting because with some of the other things, like we talked about your career or college or a house, there's actually a finish line, right? I just have to do these classes and then I have my master's. I, just have to yeah. save the money and then I've bought my house. And then I tell people, well, but you got to maintain it. <laughs> you got to put, put a new roof on it. You might have to, you know, whatever, paint it, new new windows here and there. Right. So I, yeah. And that's why I always go back to kind of the analogy of your, your vessel, your vehicle, your machine. It requires constant attention and maintenance and you can neglect it for a little bit of time for sure. And, probably will be fine as long as you eventually come around to getting it. But you can't neglect it on many levels for extended periods of time and expect it to serve you well. What I think is, I totally agree. And in many ways, uh, I was talking with my wife the other day about this, and we were talking about greatness and being at the top of something And I said, in many ways, being at the top of something is even more difficult because the journey to maintain the level of high performance can be very difficult. So then you're saying, well, let me get there. And then once I'm there, now there's this next phase of being in that phase and maintaining a high level of performance with it. Um, It was very interesting. I wanted to uh, talk to you too about, um, I think, the underlying thing of, you know, we talk about the pandemic and everything like that. And there's another pandemic coming. I mean, I don't want to be, I'm not a conspiracy theorist person. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying that it's just a slower one and we're seeing it with obesity and uh, diabetes and all these things. These things are not slowing down. In fact, they're just ramping up. They're getting greater and greater to the fact of what, 20 years from now, the projections close to three fourths of our population will be obese. But it's like this, it's like a slow moving glacier for a lot of people. It doesn't, it's not going to require the same attention of a shutdown or a lockdown because it's so slow and people are not 
contracting it, you know, type of thing with each other type of thing in a, in a sense of like a disease, like passing through droplets and stuff like that, you know. And I think it's a real danger. It's a real danger. Well, and maybe it's I'm redundant with this, but why are we not heeding that call to action versus something that's more present with us? Well, because it's not immediate. That's why, you know, I often will say you don't eat a donut today and have diabetes tomorrow. In fact, right before our session yeah. uh, or this conversation, I did um, a, a webinar on preventing diabetes and you know, I, uh, there's always people who are diabetic or pre-diabetic and we're talking about type two diabetes on there. And I, you know, I'm very, mm -hmm. I, I don't sugarcoat it. This is a 100% preventable disease. 100%. And people with diabetes don't like to hear that. And I'm not, I'm not victim shame. I'm not trying to shame anybody. Right. But no, no, no. There does seem to be a bit of a lack of personal responsibility of how I've gotten here. And I think it is because I, it doesn't work that way where I eat three Dairy Queen blizzards today and I have diabetes tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. So it can be very easy for us to be in denial that, Oh, I'll figure it out later. That won't happen to me. Right. Oh, I'll, I'll grow out of this phase or, you know, I'll, it'll all work itself out. And, you know, I often when I teach a class like that, I will just ask people, like, would you like to sign up to have your foot amputated? Well, of course, nobody raises their hand. I'm like, okay, but that's what you're doing if you don't start making changes, right? Because I guarantee every, every person with diabetes would never voluntarily sign up for that, ever. No. But... You know, it is, I mean, the, uh, the pandemic is here as far as obesity and diabetes that's been here, but I, I think part of it is, you know, where modern science is great, but now we're also through medicine, we're allowing people to not change their lifestyle. I mean, back in the day before we had medication, mm. you would have died. That was just it. If you didn't, adjust. Right. But we also didn't have these things because our lifestyle wasn't like this. Right. So uh, it's, yeah. it's hard and it's very sensitive um, because it, it is, it feels coming from my end. It does feel like I'm blaming the victim. And yet there is a tremendous amount of personal responsibility. I mean, a big reason why I changed my lifestyle was because I knew no doubt in my mind I would have diabetes if I didn't change it. And no, th no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you, sir. So no, thank you. <laughs> I had to make really, I had to do hard work um, and figure out my crap and why am I, you know, doing what I'm doing when I know it's not good for me. So, I mean, I don't stand up here preaching as, you know, this, I've never had a health challenge or, 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 you know, had any challenges with um, healthy habits in my life. I have, and I've done the hard work to figure them out. And it's still hard to not eat stuff that I really would love eating. And I, I mean, I eat those things just not as much as maybe I want to, <laughs> you know, yeah. I've learned to, yeah. to just decide that, you know, the long-term outcome is probably not worth it. So I'm going to say no at this point. What are your thoughts on, um, I've seen so much lately, well, especially before coronavirus, you know, 
But I mean, it's still relevant, just nutrition, like these, I see like the rise of like things like the carnivore diet, plant-based eating, ketogenic, all this stuff. What are your thoughts about that with people coming to you, wanting to talk to you about that or like really endorse it? Yeah. I mean, I get those questions all the time. And again, my first question is always going to be, well, why do you think that's like, what are your questions about it? Why are you curious about it? Why do you think it's good or or, you know, are you doing it or know somebody's doing it? Um, and, you know, sometimes they're just curious. Sometimes they're, you know, sister, brother, whoever has done it and saw tremendous results. And um, I'm always going to go back to just eat real food. And I, I don't, I don't know if you I know you read my book, but my little mantra, BFF is your BFF, yes. right? Protein, fat, fiber is your best friend forever. Your body needs all of the resources. It needs carbohydrates. It needs protein. It needs fat. It needs all of them. It just needs them in different varieties and forms and amounts. And every human needs different ones. And so part of it is you might need to experiment and figure out what works for you. But I definitely don't subscribe to any any pattern of eating that completely excludes an entire macronutrient group. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, it's, 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 we're a real weird world, man. I mean, we just, (laughs) we get into weird habits and things, you know, it's just strange to me. It really is. And then we highlight it as like dogma for us. And like, I think what I've seen that kind of troubles me is that when people take on things like that as their identity as a human being. I was just talking to um, Katerina Miller, you know, another connection oh, yeah, that I'm Katarina. so thankful yeah. for. And she was um, she oh, was awesome. telling me about someone she knows who literally loves cults because she'll do everything like keto is a cult. Um, CrossFit is a cult. Uh, <laughs> this other thing that she does is a cult. And this is her friend that she's like, you are such a cult, a cult whore. <laughs> yeah, just say it. Yeah. <laughs> and she wants to follow these rules. And I think there is a little bit of comfort for people in that sometimes, right? That they belong to something and they're following the rules and, um, you know, maybe they're seeing results and that, that motivates them even more to do it. But I, I th- I'm guessing there's some level of that, of needing to belong to something, um, you know, and maybe that, that rule follower is somebody who would really do well in something like that, um, I don't know that that might be part of it, but but also, you know, especially when it comes to the diets and nutrition, you know, I think you can manipulate any kind of study that you want to say the result you want it to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, totally. So, but yeah, I you know, you I don't know. You just can't tell me that carbohydrates kill you. Now, I think we eat way too many of them. Absolutely. And I think as a society as a whole, we eat way too many of the ones that don't give us quality nutrition for sure. But, um, you know, that's, and, and that's something I talk about a lot in especially the nutrition classes or the weight loss classes I teach. And I think very often too, when I ask people, well, why are you wanting to do this? Like somebody came to me wanting to go gluten-free. I'm like, okay, well, why? Are you celiac? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so then, like, what is your curiosity, or what? Why? You, well, all my friends are doing it, and you know, I feel weird when I'm out with them, and like I'm eating a burger with a bun, and they're all gluten free everything, and I feel like the outcast. I'm like, 
Okay. So we want to do something to fit in and not be judged by the people that were around. Like that was literally why she was wanting to do it. And I said, well, I'm not going to say yeah. don't go gluten-free. I think a lot of people could absolutely benefit by going gluten-free, but it's a big lifestyle adjustment. And if you're willing to make it, I, I will support you and guide you in that. But if you don't have a really strong reason for cutting gluten out of your life, and you love these foods, there's a good chance it's not going to actually end up being your lifestyle. You're going to do it for a while to fit in with your friends. And then you're going to say, ah, screw this. And you're going to go eat gluten. So <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, I think some of it is a feeling of belonging to something, right? Or something to talk about with somebody. Yeah, it's conversation, you know, oh, we're all this, we're all that. And I think people fiercely defend something they belong to, you know, and I think nutrition is just a good, a very good example to me in that sense of like, if somebody is like, this is what I stick to, I'm on paleo, I'm on ketogenic, carnivore, whatever it is, it almost becomes who they are. It's like when somebody, well, what do you do? What do you do? Like acting like, what do you do for a living mm -hmm. is like the only thing about you, you know, or something. And it's kind of like people sometimes will identify well, I'm this, like, I'm this way of eating. Like, what do you mean you're this way of eating? Like, you're, like, you're more than the sum of that, you know? I mean, like, but there's this dogma about it in a sense of like, this is my whole identity is what I eat. Yeah. And that troubles me with people. Yeah. It, you know? It's interesting what people will latch onto. It does, you know, it's filling some kind of need for them, obviously, in my opinion, um, filling some kind of hole that is missing somewhere. Um, they might not even know that, but yeah, um, I think when you have to identify with a particular way of eating is like, that's my primary, what I say I am. I don't come across a lot of that. I mean, I know a lot of people who are vegetarian or vegan or gluten-free or this or that, but I don't know that I've ever really experienced somebody who identifies in that way. Um, but I can see how that could happen and where that can happen. Yeah. I'm not even sure they realize yeah. they're identifying themselves in that way. You know, like they, this may be, maybe it's not overt. I haven't noticed it like overtly, like somebody's like, boom, I'm wearing this on my chest, but like, you know, just their movements, their behaviors, their, their conversation constantly yeah. revolves around yeah. it type of thing. Then I'm like, okay, what's there yeah. something going on here? You know, like, this is deeper than yeah. just a way of eating. Well, and, you know, maybe they're looking for, I mean, because I've had like this one gal, she's like, oh, they're so good because they're gluten-free and they don't eat this. I'm like, so, you know, and I'm not picking on gluten-free by any means. I mean, I do believe almost everybody would benefit by going gluten-free. I do. I don't go gluten-free because I like, I like things that have gluten in it. So I eat it. <laughs> sure. But... Yeah, me yeah. too. And I don't, I mean, I don't mind anybody's preferred way of eating as long as there's not judgment around what somebody else is or isn't eating. That's where I start to have some issues when we're now judging what someone else is or isn't eating because of your own beliefs. I think that's what happens a lot with people in nutrition and like not people, but just like people who are like into certain dietary behaviors like super strong then it's like this they they hate on each other's diet you know and it's like we why are you doing that you know like weird yeah to me, you know? well i think it's like a lot of other things people want to be right about something i guess i don't know but yeah 
I do. Yeah. How would you say, like, uh, uh, just transitioning a little bit off this, just like for you, because, you know, we're talking about all these other people, but I'd love to learn more about you and how you have transitioned over the last year. I mean, we think we've known each other a decent amount of time now. And uh, I'd love to learn what your journey's been like this past year, how you've maybe things have changed or stayed the same, whatever yeah. that may be. Yeah. I mean, we are coming up almost on a one-year anniversary here. Um, yeah. So when yeah. I first met you, I had just released my book, like literally just. That's that actually that I it's birth, my book's birthday was the weekend of our retreat. So it was going to be a huge celebration. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that has been interesting. I mean, definitely from a professional standpoint, um, that has opened up a lot of doors um, for just different types of speaking events and a little more exposure. Um, been on a lot of podcasts <laughs> in the last year. Amazing. That's good. Um, That's good. Recently, I've been on some with some people who are very, very young. I love it when the youngsters want to hear from the old ladies. So that's been really cool. They reached out to me <laughs> to spill some wisdom for their younger audiences. Um, you know, I I would say, I mean, my own health journey. I've been pretty stable in like my my health habits for sure, but. Even I think those are getting a little more buttoned up. It's funny, I, in case anyone who's listening hasn't figured it out, I love sweets. That's my thing. Um, but I also have worked hard to, to definitely cut down on my consumption of them. So this past year, I decided I was going to start tracking my sweets intake. Now, just to put into context, like way back in the day in my you know post-gymnastics years and probably up until my mid to late 20s, I consumed ridiculous amounts of sugar on a daily basis, like obscene, insane amounts of sugar. Um, and so it's always been something that I, you know, again, I knew, I knew where, where my health was headed if I didn't change that. Um, so it's always been something that's been a struggle for me that I've worked really hard at. And I'd say, you know, the last three or four years have a way better handle. I mean, way, way better. Like more of like what a somewhat normal person would do with their sugar consumption. Um, so mm -hmm. this year I decided I was going to keep track and not really like put any specific goals of I can only have it this much, but I'm, I'm keeping a little log and I have like how many steps I get that day, how much sleep I get that day. Um, you know, what kind of workout I did that day. And then I put a purple smiley face if I did not have sugar and sugar to me is like dessert. It's not fruit. I don't, I don't need a lot of fruit, but I don't count that as sugar. So it's like the real deal. Right. So I actually just added it up the other day. And so far this year, I've only had sugar like sweets eight days this whole year. And I'm a little shocked and proud of myself <laughs> for that because that's wow. huge for me. Um, and it's kind of a big deal coming from where I came from, um, with my, my history with that. And it's not because I'm depriving and, oh, I can't eat this. It's just, it's just not that big of a deal to me anymore. And I don't know if just mentally I've shifted out of that or if like body chemistry has changed. So I actually don't have 
uh, a, a, an actual physiological craving for it. Cause I, I know a lot of people don't know that, but <laughs> when like thyroid and estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, when, when those things are off cortisol, when those things are off, that absolutely increases your sugar cravings. Um, so getting my thyroid kind of figured out a little better has, I pretty sure made a dramatic impact on that, but whatever the reason I'm taking it, I don't really care what the reason is. <laughs> um, so that just personally on that level has been kind of fun for me. Um, from a human connection level, that was a huge thing. A focus of 2019 was um, to uh, be more intentional about connections. And that continued into my uh, my vision board for 2020 was to be not only intentional about connecting, but being a connector. And so um, I've worked worked pretty thoughtfully on being a connector in a lot of ways. <laughs> yes, yes, you have. I'm the benefit of many, yes. of some people know. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, had some big, big things planned for 2020, but, and some of them are definitely happening. In fact, this whole um, pandemic has given me a little more free time. I'm still busy enough with work, but I have a couple of projects up my sleeve preparing to launch in hopefully September, which I'm super excited about. Um, so trying to be thoughtful with how I'm using this time that I have and uh, getting some other stuff done. So I think just pushing myself a little more on a professional level, not being like, oh, well, it's 78 degrees out today. I should just go lay in the park because it's nice and I can. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the very thorough answer. I appreciate that. <laughs> I tell you, from my point of view, obviously I'm not around you a bunch, um, you know, but um, I have definitely noticed your networking. And that was kind of the thing that we talked about initially. You're like, oh, networking, I'm, it's not my thing. I'm not the best. But you have, you've become like alpha level very quickly in that. You're amazing at connecting uh, people to other people. And I always appreciate that. I wanted to thank you for that on here is that you've really introduced me to some amazing humans that I'm really happy that I know because of you. So that's an area I've well, seen you grow you. tremendously. I think it's in. something... Um, yeah. That I, you know, I, I, I don't like networking in the, in the traditional sense. I am an introvert and I am much yes. better in a small group one-on-one -on -one setting. And so uh, when I have a bigger network, which that was something I was very intentional about in 2018 and 19, I now have more opportunities to network, right? It's one of those things like what comes first, your chicken or your egg, um, and so I'm very comfortable connecting with people and making connections in that small group or one-on-one -on -one setting, but I'm not that girl who's going to go to some networking event and be like the social butterfly life of the party. That's just not, no, that, that, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> totally get that. And actually it's funny. I'm, I'm not like that either as much as I connect with people. I just, I like the current version of how I do it. It feels more like real to me and, you know, just connecting people to other people and letting, letting the magic happen with others. You just, Hey, I'm handing, it's like you're handing a baton off to another person. Here you go. This person's awesome. This person's awesome. Have fun together. You know, let them explore 
what it means to be connected with each other. And, you know, one of my goals with the podcast over time, and I thought this from the first episode is there's going to be some people I want to have back like regularly and talk to over time. It does. Everybody has been wonderful, but there's, you know, we have different chemistry with different people. And I knew when I talked to you, I was going to have you back. I just knew it. And, and that'll, that'll be happening more with you as well. It's just different times for it, you know, but it's just easy. You know, it's an easy hour. It's an easy flowing conversation. I think for people who are going to listen to this, I think one of the real gifts of networking is the things that happen between the, in between introduction and growing with somebody. It's the little texts you get here and there from the person. Hey, how you doing today? Or you're great at, I listened to this episode. I was laughing when you said this and stuff like that, you know, like that builds chemistry, that builds a bond, a connection. Those little moments in between is what I find very valuable when I connect with somebody. And I would say a lot of the guests, you know, we kind of, we do it, we have a great time. And um, there was not a lot of communication all the time between, but uh, the ones that are always like, we're communicating in between the shows, you, Michelle uh, uh, Collins, Carolyn Brunson, people like, it's just like, you're building this friendship over time. And uh, that's very yeah. special. Well, to me. me too. It's, it's been a, it's been a fast year. It's really kind of unreal to think that that it's been almost yeah. a year since that first introduction and. Um, and yeah, I mean, that all came because that was me pushing out of my comfort zone, reaching out or responding to your message, right. which is not typically something I would have done. But that was one of my own challenges to myself for the a scope of 2019 was to, you know, you say yes when you would normally say no. And so, yeah, when you when you do things that you're uncomfortable with or maybe just decide to say yes and see where it goes. You, you just don't know. And that I think is probably a life lesson in lots of different ways. And I've certainly continued to um, put that into practice in a couple of other ways. I'm doing that currently right now for somebody with a certain event and very hesitant to do it. And, and I, but I did it anyway and doing it and it's been super fun and I'm really glad I did it. So that's always uh, that's always a reminder to me to you know don't be so quick to say no to things because that's kind of my nature is to say no first and then to maybe circle back around um, and I'm trying to reverse that it's to say yes or maybe first and then come to the to the answer. That's wonderful. Well, you've done a great job. I'm proud of you. I'm proud to know you, and. Um, for anybody who listens, say yes to connecting with Michelle Zellner or MZ as Michelle Collins. <laughs> yes, it's calls so it. funny when <laughs> Michelle and Carolyn and I get on a text thread. <laughs> it's MC, MZ, and C. So we're we're CM squared. <laughs> <laughs> CM squared. I like that. Well, thank you so much for being on, Michelle. It's well, always thank you, Darian. Always great to it. catch up with you as well. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.